0: We're in 1 Timothy, we're down to chapter 4, verse 3. But in the last uh, verses of the last lesson, the Holy Spirit revealed something, it says. Most likely, maybe while Paul was writing uh, his epistle uh, to them, he was getting something. Uh, he was an apostle and given extra grace for revelation and so it was being plainly revealed to him. Maybe at that time, at that instant, he'd gotten things before that nobody else taught or expounded on, like the rapture of the church. That's a new revelation that was given to him because he was apostolic, and he was given more grace for that than the other apostles. So as he's getting this, what he gets is, he says, the Spirit uh, speaks expressly. It means he's speaking to him probably then that in the latter part of the church age, the new covenant of Christ in us, some real Christians will fall away from the faith, the Christian faith. This is true Christianity. We're not talking about people switching denominations. We're not talking about the two billion people in the world claiming to be Christians. When Jesus said he never knew them, they were not. We're talking about those who were real Christians, always in the minority, that of them, there was going to be a sufficient number to start falling away. And it tells us what? It'll make an, enough impact on the real church, which are few. And how will they do it? He said they will pay heed. They'll give attention to false teachers, heresies. Christian teachings mixed with things like New Age. This is the fallacy, and this is the danger. When I used to counsel many people, they run around to various teachers and aren't mature enough to discern what they're listening to. And so the teachers will teach five and six things that are scripturally sound, and then they'll throw two or three false teachings in there. All it takes is one false gross teaching to send you to hell. Heresy and false teaching will not get you into the kingdom. Remember Elisha, they were fixing the young prophets a big meal and throwing a lot of vegetables into the pot, and all of a sudden one of them realized it was poison. All you had to do was throw one object, some uh, bad mushrooms or something, in a pot of ten vegetables. Well, it'll kill you. All the other vegetables aren't going to help you then. And this is what happens to false teaching and why people are led astray. Instead of being grounded in the Word, they're looking for something new to tickle their intellect. They want more knowledge. A lot of these seminaries, they're just teaching false and exaggerated teachings and something to tickle people's ear. They think they're good in philosophies and new age, but because they're not being the Lord, they're deceived. They don't have much spiritual understanding. And they can quote the Bible and still not have a a real understanding of what the Lord's saying, because spiritual revelation comes from the Father. And Paul in Ephesus said, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and understanding be given to you, implied that it is not given to those who are non-Christians, doesn't mean how wise they are, intellectual. And when Jesus was debating with the scribes and Pharisees, and they were offended at him, Peter said, you've offended them, and he said, leave them alone. He said, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. And then he immediately says, I thank you, Lord, Father of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things from the wise, the intellectual, and revealed it to the simple or the common people. And that's what he did. So spiritual knowledge does not come by intellect alone. It don't prove nothing. It's the foundation. But unless the Spirit puts it together, you go to have a deception. And most of our seminaries are deceiving people and teaching lies because they're mixing Christian doctrines with many other doctrines. And that's why we have so much heresy. And this falling away has to happen to a degree, or the Lord's foretelling it, because it has to set the system up for the Antichrist to come, I and mean, before God to send a strong delusion, lying spirits. We'll see that, he said in Thessalonians, because they would not acknowledge the love of the truth. They didn't want it. It says, God will send them a strong delusion that they'll be deceived, they'll be lied to, and damned. But God takes credit. So if people do not respond to the Holy Spirit and keep resisting him, he can send demon spirits to deceive them and give them a lie. There are no vacuums in the spiritual realm. So, this deception will come worldwide because they fight Christianity and the Holy Spirit, and it gets darker and darker, and it has to get there before the Antichrist and the false prophet come on the scene. The foundations will be laid for him and for them during this time. So, this beginning to fall away, we see this now starting. There are things that We could hear and see in the sixties and seventies that you don't see or hear much of anymore. Back then there was some sound teaching on the radio and certain you don't find hardly anything. And they've mixed with other things and elevated license to sin, and God loves you unconditionally. I just saw a commercial the other day. Jesus loves you unconditionally. Well, see, they pervert that because he doesn't love you into heaven. The love of God is goodwill, but the wrath of God abides on anyone, and that's his anger and contempt that will not receive Christ. See, they mislead people, teach that Jesus is some kind of Santa Claus but he will exercise the wrath of God on the wicked of the world, and he is God, and so he warns. So his love is not unconditionally. It's conditioned on you repenting and turning to the Lord, and if you don't or if you fall away, he said he'll deny that person. That branch will be cut off and cast into hell. So they are lying to you. That's another teaching, and the world takes Christian doctrine and elevates just one point. They don't rightly handle the Word of God, and that's how they deceive many people. So in one breath, they'll say, they'll quote, God will cast the wicked into lake of fire, and then in the next one, but God is so loving and, and I'm uh, he probably doesn't do it to many people. See, they twist the truth. As Peter said, they were doing Paul's writings then, And he said, as they do all scripture, Peter is telling us that Paul's epistles were scripture. And he says, they twist all scripture to their own damnation. So when you start tampering with the truth, the Holy Spirit will withdraw, and he can send spirits as a punishment on people. Israel, when they rebelled, and often he sent their enemies to subdue them. And then when he was finished, he destroyed the enemies. He uses who he pleases, and he can use wickedness to punish. So we need to understand that this is what's going to happen. There is going to be, it is, a falling away from those who were truly born again and walked with the Lord. We're not talking about the two billion people who profess Christianity and Jesus said at judgment... When they're saying, Lord, Lord, they believe he's the Lord. They believe he died on the cross. Half of them are Roman Catholic. The other half are liberal and orthodox Protestants. He just tells them, I never knew you. You never did the will of my father, and you were lawless. You did not submit to the law of Christ. So most of what you hear and see in the world of Christianity is false. It's not true before the Lord. Okay. And now we go to verse three. It's a continuation of two. Men, he's going to tell us how some of them and what they teach. He said, they'll give heed in verse one, remember, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of devils. Okay. Verse three, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. What we find is many of these abstaining from foods, this was the leftover of the Jewish system. The Judaizers and new believers Sometimes Jews that came to the Lord, they had a hard time still eating certain things. They were, you can't eat this, you can't eat, because that was under the law, and it was a schoolmaster. But the Gentile church was never put under that, and actually the Jewish converts weren't. They did it as a witness when they lived in Jerusalem. They kept the law, and they kept ritual, but they knew that salvation came through Christ. So they did it, as Paul said, he became a Jew to win the Jew. He didn't purposely offend them, so he would go along with these things to be able to witness and talk to them. Now, if he was eating a ham sandwich and went into the temple area, they'd have stoned him and thrown him out. He wouldn't have been able to talk to him about Christ. So sometimes you have to use some wisdom. But he warned them that they're weak. Paul uh, called them weak Christians because their conscience hasn't been enlightened according to the truth. But he tells other Christians, you leave them alone. You don't talk them into something until their conscience is enlightened. He said, course whatever is not a faith is sin. So the Lord may allow you to do something that is not obvious sin, and he may not allow some Christians to do it. It may be a besetting sin, a weakness. And because you can do it, you tell them they can do it, and you're more spiritual than them, they'll do it. And actually, Paul says they're sinning because they're not doing it by faith, and that is presumption. So if you don't have faith and assurance, you don't do it. It don't matter whether it's right or wrong. The Lord will judge it as being wrong because you're being presumptuous and you don't know the truth. So he's saying, wait and let them and you use your liberty among yourself, but not among the weak Christian that doesn't understand these things yet. His spirit must be enlightened. The conscience can be disturbed. It can be distorted. It can be enlightened. It's a part of man's spirit, and the Holy Spirit works with the inner conscience to enlighten and bring things to remembrance. Then once it sees something, it has more liberty. It's not brought under the bondage of these things like they were under much of the law, and it's systems okay so forbidding to marriage priests and the uh, i guess they were called the assesses or there were jewish sects and offshoots and they were teaching that it was better and it was god's will to be single to be a proper servant of the lord to be a special servant the roman catholic system they've been promoting such lies from the third fourth century okay but they forget that the, the so-called first pope, Peter, was married. and talks about his wife in the scripture, okay? So at various times, Paul said, and they elevate that and stretch it too far, Paul said it was better to be single like him because of tribulation and problems going on at the time in their locations. But then at other times, he said to avoid immorality, and fornication that the young Christians should marry. They should have the means to have the desire satisfied legally. He said it, it's better to marry than to burn, than to, to be driven by lust. And the average person is made to marry and is made for companionship. So Paul never put it on them. He said, I wish you all like me, but you who marry have not sinned. So he was given an opinion. He was not given a commandment as the Roman Catholic Church will not accept priests and bishops and cardinals unless they're single. And that is what is a doctrine of the devil and the teaching. They forbid to marry and say you're special. And the surveys in the last 10 years or so by Catholics and Catholic people who are helping priests to have fallen They estimate 60% of Roman Catholic priests have committed adultery or live in fornication or have sexual problems. It's higher than the clergy where they're allowed to marry. So again, it's a perversion, and you cannot force that on people. The Lord doesn't. Even Jesus said everyone cannot receive that saying of being a eunuch spiritually and, and dedicating himself. He says it's given to some. But he said, all men cannot receive that. Under the law and the Pharisaical system, you're almost required to marry to have any kind of standing in the community. Celibacy was not pushed by the Jewish systems. Only time, sometime it was allowed and accepted was with some of the prophets, but even they were married at times. Okay. And furthermore, at another time, he said that young women under 50, called that young, should marry and bear children. That was the command of Paul. He said, let them marry and bear children. That's something. So much for everybody be like me. So singleness in life was optional. And then Hebrews tells us a plain statement. It says, marriage is honorable in all. It means all Christians are open if they want to get married. And immediately it says, but the adulterer and fornicator will be judged by God. So it's showing you then the only place of sexual relationship that God honors between people is in the marriage between a man and a woman. All other forms of fornication and sex and so forth, God will judge it. He'll condemn it. And these that practice such things Paul's named fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, every form you think of, he said they will not inherit the kingdom of God. He expects purity from those who follow him, okay? And so marriage, like I say, anybody chooses to or not chooses. Now, you pray and you ask God for wisdom and stuff. I've had people tell me that God didn't want them to marry. I said, well, you're listening to a false spirit because God doesn't command a Christian not to marry, or to marry. He's already spoken on the subject, and he's not going to elevate you as if you're special. He's given you wisdom of what to do, but then you may pray as far as who to marry, and when to get into this, you always seek the Lord's will in that. But the choice is yours, and he will not push either way, because when Scripture speaks on something, it speaks plainly. So when Paul said, marriage is honorable and all, so he's telling a Christian, I don't care who you are, uh, eventually if you want to get married, then God will bless it. And if you don't, he will bless it. So that's where we're at. But see, they force bondages on people, as many of the systems do. The Pharisaical system, over 600 rules they made up. Moses only had about 50 By the time Jesus comes along, I believe there were 649. They put all these burdens on people and they taught it like it was the Word of God. And that's why Jesus said, called them hypocrites. He says, You'll lay aside the Pharisees and scribes, you'll lay aside the Word of God for your tradition. How can you escape the damnation of hell? So when denominations do the same, they put the book of order and their rules beyond what's plain scripture. Well, they're false, and hell will be waiting for them because they mix and they lie, and they think their system's better. Any earthly system is subject to deception and lies, and there's only one church and body, and that's who are true believers. Denominations, organizations, they're nothing. People can get together and have a group and do this, but it's not validated by Scripture unless they serve Scripture. So, the Lord is not promoting denominations. He's promoting holiness and maturity for the Christian. So, all of these other rules are made up by men. And it doesn't mean that God approves of them or that they're the real church. They don't have no lampstand if they pervert the Word of God. So, these teachings not to marry and so forth and do special things, you can't do this, you can't, see they want to be special, they want to be, a lot of times it's nothing but pride behind it, will worship it's called, they do things, great fastings. and fasting has its place, great sacrifices, during the Easter time a lot of the Filipinos and other Catholic, they have themselves, not a lot of them, a few of them have themselves crucified and they'll nail nails and hang and suffer and everybody looks at it and own And he just gloats in pride. See? And Paul said, whatever is not love, it's fault. He said, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So these people that crawl on their knees and get blisters, and they do all of this to appear to people because they want attention. They use religion to get pride and attention. And so Paul's saying it profits them nothing. And actually it adds sin to them because God comes against this. He's not interested in those forms of self-infliction that doesn't promote the kingdom of God. But see, the people of the world are impressed with that because they don't know Scripture and they've been lied to by demon spirits, okay? So that's one of the main things that we see. Half of the people in the world who claim to be Christians, Roman Catholics, well, they uphold the system of celibacy, and they forbid their clergy, priests, to marry, and they think they're elevated above every people, everybody else. They'll teach that the teachings of the priest and the church supersede the Christian authority. That's how they get so much heresy and deal with ignorant people. They go by their system, and they don't rightly handle the word of truth. And the other thing they did was, again, forbidding to eat certain foods. Well, the Jews did that under the law. They were required to. God used it to teach them between what was holy and what was not holy. And he had principle. But then the law was fulfilled. Now, after the flood, Noah's flood, and before the flood, everybody were vegetarians, Noah and all of them, We have no place where they were eating meat. But after the flood, the Lord said, every living thing that moves shall be food for you, like the plant life. So he set it apart and said, now you can eat this. Some believe that man's time was shortened, and something must have been done to the human body, the shortened human capacity of living longer, And so maybe they needed to have more protein of a different kind. But whatever reason, the Lord says you can eat it now. So they could eat any creature, any type of food they wanted if they prayed over it. And so the Jewish person that came to the Lord, he still had a hard time. He'd been in that system for centuries. And if he ate pork or something for a little while, his conscience he had to be very clear on that. And Paul said, let him until his conscience enlightened, don't push the issue. And don't be eating uh, stuff in front of him to antagonize him. So Christian love goes to the higher law. We have liberty to do things. We're not talking about gross sin. We're talking about many rituals and ceremonies and eatings. Uh, there, uh, We're free from all that Jewish system. They didn't have the spirit of Christ in them. God kept them all occupied, their brain and their mind, doing things like you do children to keep them out of trouble. They had all kinds of things they had to do constantly, and it was time-consuming. Uh-huh. And He purposely did that to teach them things too, so that they'd learn between what was good and what was what was bad. Okay. But four and five. But he said, abstaining from foods, three, that God is created to be gratefully shared. Okay, he's talking about animal food, too, and those who believe and know the truth. So these people, uh, Hindus and other religions and even the Muslim stuff and Jews that won't eat certain foods, they're in an deception. They have been distorting the word of God because the Lord says, You can eat anything if you pray over it. And it's bondage, ultimately. It's just out ritual. It doesn't make a person spiritual what you eat. And that's what Paul tells us. The kingdom of God is not eating, drinking. He said it's spiritual, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It has nothing to do with what you eat or what you don't eat. See, once the new covenant and Christ fulfilled the old covenants, then the schoolmaster ceased. It was like, you don't need this anymore. You've got the full light now, the full revelation. So he said he created these things. To those who believe and know the truth, then they can eat it and pray over it. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude And verse 5, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Sanctified means it's set apart now. And God has said, if you can do that, then whatever God says is true. He said, now, he can forbid certain things at certain times. But then he said, you can eat this, you pray over it, and God's word has shown you it's set apart. So you pray over it, and it's, it's okay for you to eat it. Well, they were still trying to—the Judaizers and the ignorant Christians were still trying to have people under their bondage because their conscience was not enlightened properly, and they didn't know the truth. And that had to happen to Peter. Peter was a good Jew. God tells him—he gives him a vision because he's going to go to a Gentile's house and eat, and Jews did not do that. And for the first six or eight years— they preached the gospel to Jews only. The apostles at Pentecost, when they went out and preached, and three and five thousand were saved, they were all Jews. Uh-huh. And they sort of didn't have a concept that fully couldn't comprehend it, that God was opening the door to the Gentiles. So he waited a while, and then the Lord gives him a vision and shows him all of these animals, and he recognized what was clean and unclean because he was a good Jew. And then the Lord said, now eat, kill and eat, kill. He talked about animals. And Peter answered him and said, Master, Lord, I've, I've never eaten anything unclean. He was not a filthy, cursing fisherman. He was a good Jew in the light like that he had. And he said, I've never eaten anything contrary to the law. And the Lord said to him, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. He's saying, I've changed the system I've given more. Now it's free. So it is not unclean now. It's clean. So that was showing Peter when he went and talked to Cornelius that God accepted the Gentiles. And when he gave him the message, 12 of them were saved and filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. And when he reports back to James, he was sort of excusing himself. What was I to do? I gave him the gospel, and the Lord gave him the spirit. And who was I to forbid anything? He was a little afraid of James. James was the administrator and sort of the bishop of all the instructions and rules. But when it came to preaching mainly to a, a group of authorities and stuff, Peter usually took the foremost part with the apostles. But it's interesting, James had great power, and Peter did not want to offend him, so he explained to him when he did certain things, because he knew James was a stickler to the word of God. And James wouldn't have had no problem reproving him like Paul did. So he writes and explains to him what happened. And James and the elders accepted it, what the Lord was doing. Okay. They accepted Paul later and evaluated the liberty the Lord had given him. But Paul, even though he said he implied he probably knew more than the apostles, he said they didn't add nothing to me, nothing, no new teachings or anything. And he had to be careful because the reason he was given a stake in the flesh was to keep his pride down, keep him from being elevated. So even though he knew a lot of these things, and maybe more than the apostles did, the others, the Holy Spirit sent him. Down to submit to the church because they were the foundation. And he said, Lest I run in vain. He went down there and he didn't do it. They would send the word that no Christians were to listen to him. They would call him a heretic, don't matter what he was teaching. And they were the foundation. The church's foundation was built on the 12 apostles and the New Testament prophets and Jesus Christ. Paul was not of those. He came a little later, so years later, and God called him for his apostleship to the Gentiles and to give more instructions and revelation than the other apostles got. But he was not the 13th apostle. He wasn't. He said, I was born all the time. He was saying because of the authority and ministry, but he never claimed. And Peter and the apostles replaced Judas right before the Spirit came, and the Scripture, they were fulfilling Scripture. They quoted Psalms. It said, let another man be given his office. And it was after that that Pentecost came, because there had to be 12 of them. And when the Spirit came, they were the foundation witnesses. There couldn't be 11, so they were appointed another one. And it had to be someone who had lived during the time of all the apostles, like 70 of the elders often did, and they knew what was going on. And they cast lots and took the one of the two, and they felt God approved that. Well, let me tell you, if God didn't approve it, he would have straightened them out real quickly. He didn't have no problem correcting people. I mean, the Lord called Peter the devil when he tried to give him bad advice. Even though Peter thought he meant well and loved the Lord, the devil was using him at other times he rebuked the apostles and said you hardness, and how long must I bear with you?" So he wasn't always simple with them and and, and loving uh, as people think he they were afraid to ask him questions at times cause he expected more of them. He wasn't dealing with children, he was dealing with adults. And after three and a half years, he expected them to lower a little more than they did. And then he he said, well, there's many things I have to tell you, but they're hard, hard saying. He said, but you cannot bear them now, see? Under your Jewish concepts, you couldn't have taken it. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And one of the things was that the Gentiles were going to be a part of the church of God. They were going to be the church. And the body of the Jews was going to get less and less. And as a whole, Jesus said the children of the kingdom would be cast into outer darkness. The Jews as a whole were going to be cast into hell over the generation. Only a remnant would be saved because they were given such privileges and they didn't follow the Lord and rebelled consistently. And then he went to the Gentiles. So now, as Paul taught, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Everyone comes to Jesus Christ. If you're a Jew, you're not special. If you're a Gentile, you're not special. He broke that wall down. The true church is one church. It says it's neither a Jew or Gentile. It's neither barbarian or intellectual Greeks. It's not slaves or freemen. In the spirit, they're all children Of the Lord that come through Jesus Christ. They have different ministries and different limitations according to the world. He said there's neither male nor female, but women are not given authority over men in any realm, the church or the world, and he didn't change that. But that doesn't mean they're not spiritual and they have other things they do in the spirit realm. They're equal as a child of God. Okay, they're called the sons and daughters of the Lord. Okay. So Peter again he recognized that the Lord had cleansed and sanctified the ministry to the Gentiles. Jesus, his last message was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That word often is used of the Gentiles. He didn't want the gospel preached to cows and pigs. He's talking about people. He said, go and and teach them. Well, you can't teach a cow and a pig anything. Not on a human level, you can't. And he said, teach them to observe everything that I told you. He didn't say give them five scriptures of salvation. He said, you teach them everything I told you. Uh Uh-huh. And then he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we said before in the lesson, when we went to the Gentiles, they baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When they were converting Jews, they only usually named the name of Jesus. Well, when they were preaching to the world, the true God, Jehovah, is manifested in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Jew already accepted the Father and the Holy Spirit, but he hadn't accepted Jesus. So if he was coming to the Lord and being baptized, he was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he would have to acknowledge that Jesus was the true Messiah, and the true Messiah was the Word of God. He was one with God of divinity. So for a Jew to acknowledge that, his conversion was accepted. Because a Jew that didn't accept Jesus, that he recognized he would call Jesus a, a false prophet, as Paul did in the beginning, until he was enlightened. So that's how you find in the book of Acts, most of the time when they preached the gospel and they baptized people, in the first part they were baptizing Jews. So you'll see the name of Jesus only used. But when Jesus said, go into all the world, he's talking about Gentiles now. They have to be told about the Godhead, the Father, the Word, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? So sanctify means it's set apart unto holiness. When the priests were set apart for the ministry, the blood was put of the sacrificial animal on their right ear, their right thumb, and their right toe. What they hear was to hear from the Lord. The work of their hands, the thumb represents that, and your right toe or your, represented your, your walk, and it had to be sanctified, and then oil was put on it, and then you were set apart for the priestly ministry. And the word holiness and sanctify are very close, but the strictly sanctification in itself, the first part is to be called out, to be separated from what is ordinary. So the priesthood was not ordinary. The normal Jews could go into the outer court, and there the women and men were separated at times. But only the priests could go into the sanctuary. No one else was permitted. And only the high priest could go before the Holy of Holies once a year. So he was showing, as people get closer to God, God can reveal himself more. And those who aren't, they have to stay further back or the wrath of God will come upon them. They're warned that you better be right if you're going to come before the Lord because he ain't going to put up with certain things. Okay, And so they were lessons to be taught and the Jewish system and ceremonies would teach all of this and the Christian picked it up later. The Gentiles, they were taught this through the few Jews In the empire, as I've said before, 8-9% of the 70 and 80 million people in the Roman Empire were Jews. And they were spread out and had their synagogues in many towns and cities. And when Paul went to them first, he said he went to them two or three Sabbaths. And usually he got thrown out and rejected, but he always got a few of them that come to the Lord. And they would have to join the Gentiles. But they could teach the Gentiles about the law, so God's wisdom knew what he was doing, and they could understand why and who Christ's foundation was from. They understood that he was more than their Savior, and they understood all the beginning. They were taught both, and we see God's wisdom that way. Okay, so getting to verse 6, Oh, get him back before we go on. These people, Christians in the Roman world, they bought a lot of their food in the marketplaces, and most of that was dedicated to various Roman gods. And so that's what Paul said. You go and buy it and pray over it, and you can eat it. But you don't make an argument with them. If a Gentile comes out and says, this was offered to Jupiter, you you could refuse to eat it. But that doesn't mean later you can go back and buy it. You're free to eat whatever you want. But you were trying to help them to realize that you served a different God, okay? And so they prayed over it, and they could eat anything they wanted. And we saw in Scripture, the Gentile was only forbidden through James and Peter. They could not eat human flesh nor drink blood. Those were the only restrictions put on them, okay? Let's take a break now.